All right. Um, this uh, this week we're going to focus on the the halacha um, of make mitzvah, and uh, specifically on the permission, the demand that a kohen, even a kohen gadol, a nazir, defile themselves in order to take care of burying a body that they found with nobody else to bury it. Basic definition of a mate mitzvah. And our yeah. focus in the shear is going to be on the basis for that demand, or essentially the basis for the demand to bury trumping the, um, the sanctity of the Nazir or the coin or the coin Gadol, um, and such that he defiles himself, right? And that that's the kind of the, the focus of, of the parak that we're engaged in, so we're going to take a little bit of a dive into that. It all begins uh, in Parshat Emor, as you see here. Um, source one, be'amav. A person, a this is the children of Aaron. A person should not defile themselves among their nation. All right. And now, if you take a quick peek here at the sefer, uh, the Torah Kohanim, the midrash on that is. A person should not define himself among his people, which is itself a kind of a strange word. And the drasha is meaning as long as his people are there. What's the implication? So there's two things immediately we grab from this midrash. One of them is that the obvious one, which I put in red, which is that the Torah, by adding the word be'amav, it seems to imply that there are certain circumstances when the Kohen does become Tameh. And besides the later listing we're going to look at in a second of relatives, it is defined by be'amav. Now, the, the whole word be'amav is a strange word. It should be the nefesh lo'i tamah. Or What is Be'amav? So the second piece is, of this is the first part of the Midrash, Bizman She'amav Sham, meaning as long as the people, his people, are present. And now we're getting a definition of a mate mitzvah. A mate mitzvah is, therefore, or should we, without using that term, a mate that a Kohen is supposed to defile himself to bury is someone who does not have any people around where there's only him or other Kohanim who are present, and then there's his dead body, okay? Now, the rest of the phrase here and back in the Torah is, kiim means except for. So we should not become tamei bi'amav, except for his kin who are close to him. And then we have to look at the next few phrases and see what they mean. So his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, and then that his sister, who was unma- who's unmarried, who's still close with him, and the, the, the assumption here is that because she's unmarried, she doesn't have a husband who's going to take care of her, so the Kohen, her brother, takes care of her. Um, however, the question, one side question I want to deal with is, what does the She'ero mean? Because she'er, as we're familiar with in the parsha of Arayot in Achremot, means kin in the concept of consanguinity, and so it would seem that we're saying the only people that Kohen is mitameh for is blood kin, and then the definition is father, mother, son, daughter, brother, and then some sister, uh, and then of course the big omission here is wife. So how do we know that a Kohen is mitameh to bury his wife? So one way to read it is if we read L'Shero not as a topic word, but as a separate identity. Ki'im L'Shero, meaning except for his She'er, and L'Imol Aviv. Not that She'er is the topic statement and then L'Imol Aviv are examples, but L'Shero is another one on the list. And then which relative is mentioned is here that's not mentioned, and that would be wife. The problem is, of course, wife by definition cannot be She'er. You can't marry somebody who's your kin. And so there we will we'll take a look at she'er in the context of the obligations of a husband to his wife. 
right? Sheirak Sutava and Sheir there may refer to someone that he feeds then, or it may mean someone who has become kin with, but not who was originally kin. In any case, that's how we understand it. Um, but there's another way to get to bearing the wife, which is very simply this. Which sister does he become Tameh for? Only a sister who's unmarried. Why? Because the assumption is that the sister who's married will have somebody who will bury her. And who's that? Her husband. What if she marries a Kohen? So that means the Kohen is going to defile himself to bury his wife. So one way or the other, the wife is covered in this pasuk. And the our passage ends, We're gonna, I put that in because we're going to come back to that phrase in our in looking at the Rishalmi. So a Master should not become Tameh. Again, be'amav, lehechalo means to defile himself. Okay, good. That's the coin, regular coin. And then, back down here, and it's a parashat tucha, so we have a new section. Va'koin ha'gadol me'achav, hasuk yod, now introduces the coin gadol. And the coin gadol, of course, is similar to a coin yod, but the bar is raised. So just like a coin yod, cannot marry Grusha, a coin Gadol can't marry Grusha, but he even can't marry an Amana. So it's raised by one, one measure. In the same way here, the nafshot mate loyavo. He shall not come to any dead people. Even his father and his mother, he doesn't become Tameh for, which of course sets him off as different than the Kohen Ediot, who does go to father and mother and the other relatives. And the assumption here is that the Torah only has to mention father and mother to tell you even father and mother, which is the way I read it, um, and certainly not brother, sister, etc. He's not going to, to tend to them. Now, why, by the way, would father and mother be the biggest statement, such that if we say that Kohen Gadol does not become Tameh for father and mother, he certainly doesn't become Tameh for children or siblings? The answer is fairly straightforward. Because burying your parents is not only an act of the mitzvah of kvurah, it is also kibbutah ve'en, which doesn't exist in those other relationships. And so therefore, if the Torah says that the Kohen Gadol does not even bury his father and mother, that he's not going to be defile himself to bury his uh, his other kin. Okay? And that's as far as the Kohen Gadol goes. Now, parenthetically, in Li'avivu Li'molo Itama, again, the Sifra says, Mitamehu al mate mitzvah. The Midrash says, but he is mitameh for mate mitzvah. How do we get that? Now, we get it because look at the Pasuk again. Pasuk Yoral says, nafshot mate lo yavo. And that could have been the end of the Pasuk. You don't defile yourself for anybody. The fact that it says, la vivu lo yulimo lo for father and mother, even father and mother, you're not mitameh implies there is someone else you're mitameh for, but we're trying to tell you this is the most severe ex uh, um, expression of not being mitameh. You're not mitameh for your father and mother, but there's one yet that you are. Because the Torah simply could have said, I'll call nafshot mate loyavo. But to be honest, that's a little weak. Because had the, had the Torah only said, I'll call nafshot mate loyavo, I would have thought that means, just like the coin had yot, you don't defile yourself for other people, but for your parents and, and siblings, you would. Therefore, the Torah has to say, even father and mother. So the question is, where do we get the concept of, um, of not the concept, where do we get the, the, the ruling, or shall we say, the values statement that bearing a mate mitzvah overrides any level of of of, uh, of Kedusha, even a Kedusha of a Kohen Gadol, that he defiles that in order to bury a mate mitzvah. Because we have to find the source for this idea. What I mean is, the Midrash Halacha seems to be starting with a premise now that a mate mitzvah trumps Tumah. Trumps the Isur of Tumah for a Kohen Gadol, and certainly for a Kohen Hedyot. And therefore, it builds the case based on the words that it's leading to a mate mitzvah. But, where do we know that from? Now, we can make a, 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 an, uh, an interesting sort of a priori argument, which is, why is it that the Torah says you may bury your parents if you're a regular Kohen? Why would the Torah say you're a Kohen, you're not allowed to become Tameh, except for your parents? Why would why why are your parents yes and somebody else not? Well, you said you said 
why your kids and no and 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 nobody else's kids who else is going to bury them there we go that's exactly it i think that that's part of what the underlying idea is that your own kin are in a sense make mitzvah for you because there's nobody else's if you don't bury them who's going to bury them so it could be that make mitzvah is kind of the undercurrent of the entire system of tumat koanim likrovayam could be now we turn to the Nazir, which is the only other example of this ban. The ban is a broad ban for Kohanim, a narrower and higher ban for Kohen Gadol. And then we get to the Nazir, right? So, kol al nefesh lo yavo. And by the way, that would be enough. As long as he's a Nazir, he should not have any contact with the dead. And then it lists, le'aviv lo now notice that we have three lists. We have the longest list, which is Kohen Yod, which lists six relatives, father, mother, son, daughter, brother, and then some sisters. We have the narrowest list, which is Kohen Gadol, father, mother only. And then we have the middle list, which is Nazir, which is father, mother, brother, sister, children aren't mentioned. All right? Now, we'll, we'll see actually a, a comment on why that might be the case. But again, we have the same problem. Why does the Torah say, al nefesh mate lo yavo, and then list? He has the crown of God, as it were, on his head, and that would be defiled by him having, having contact even with his parents and with his siblings when they're dead and burying them. And then, he's sanctified to God, it seems to be the end, which is the end of this first of the three sections of Parshat Nazir, which lists the basic uh, parameters of the Nazir's limitations. After which, we have the second section, which is what happens when someone does die and the Nazir becomes Tameh, the procedure. And the third and final section is what does the Nazir do when he successfully completes his period of Nazirut? Okay. But no, you notice that we have the same problem here, which is it says a general statement, he should not have any contact with the dead. And then it lists four examples of those he should not um, become Tameh by bearing. And as we know, our our understanding from that is, but he does defile himself for me. Mitzvah, and here is the full piece. We're going to look at the Sifrei, the Sifrei Bamidbar, which is the Midrash Tanaim on Bamidbar uh, from the school of Rabbi Yishua, Rabbi Yishmael. All right, that's the pasuk. All right, so the text moves from the issue of shaving, which is the previous thing, and moves to the issue of tumah. That might mean he's not allowed to touch a nevela, a dead animal. So, in this first statement, the Midrash says, you know why I'll be anymore there? To tell you that the only prohibition is contact with dead people and not dead animals. By the way, we had a similar thing where we said that he has to only avoid tumat mate and not tumat sarat, touching a mitzora. Let's say that his uh, father is a zav, he can help his father and he walk him around and become tamay. He's not banned from that. And loyavo, the implication is tumat ohel, and tumat ohel is only with Adam. Okay, now the part that we're looking for is here. Again, and then, if you recall, because we did this in the Gemara, we go through a whole series of arguments that would say I could get to mate mitzvah without the pasuk. I could understand it from a kalvachomer. A coin gadol is not allowed to uh, defile himself even for his parents. There, so now I have an analogy between the two of them, not a kalachomer. And I know the coin gadol I've already learned is metame for mitzvah, so nazir also. And then I could have a kalachomer, a coin gadol who is uh, who his sanctity is forever. He was born a coin. He's going to die a coin. He still is metame lemeit mitzvah. Nazir, who is temporary, and he took it on himself, and he could ask, he could ask and be released from it. Certainly, mitzvah. And then the answer is the flip, which is, on the other hand, a coin gadol. If he does become tamei, 
doesn't bring a korban, doesn't go through any ceremony, just has to stay out for seven days and do hazat mechatat mikvah, and he's back to business. A nazir, on the other hand, there's a whole ceremony to do if he becomes tmeimei. So maybe a nazir is more severe. Therefore, we have to say, nonetheless, he's metamei mitzvah. And then we played with other possibilities, right? But the bottom line is that we that we got to the conclusion that um, just like it says, the general statement with a kohen, and then it lists the details, and the same thing for a nazir. It says, and then it lists, etc., um, that he is uh, is nonetheless is metami mitzvah. Now, Rabbi Kiva comes with a whole different direction, right? And um, and he says, what is the reason that it says ki al roshom? So now, if even if he was a coin gadol, meaning a nazir coin gadol, imagine that. Which, by the way, of Rav Cook's closest friend, Rav David Cohen. Ben Kohen Gadol, remember he was a Nazir, that would have been great. Okay. Right? Um, if he's a Nazir, he's not Metame Lavivimo, right? And remember, we said the whole thing about if a regular person is on his way to go do Korban Pesach and he, and he finds out that a family member has died, he doesn't go back and be Metame, he has to go to Korban Pesach because of Karet, but if he's a make Mitzvah, he has to stop. And Continually throughout the sugya, there is an assumption that meit mitzvah trumps it all. And here is our sugya in front of us, the sugya that we've dealt with just a couple of days ago, which is, if you recall, the setting point for our sugya was really a value statement of if you have a kohen gadol and a nazir, and together they encounter a mate. Mitzvah, which one of them do we prefer to become Tamei? If the Nazir or the Kohen Gadol should become Tamei. And the Gemara then says, Right? Meaning that, and now this is now the Gemara's discussion about the Mishnah. At this point, they disagreed about the Kohen Gadol versus the Nazir if they're walking together. But certainly, any either one of them alone is supposed to become a Tamei. In other words, the Gemara is addressing the way that I started this year, which is where I got the idea from. Which is, the Mishnah starts with an assumption that both Kohen Gadol and Nazir violate their status in order to take care of a mate mitzvah. And the only question on the table is, what happens if I have to make a choice between which one of them then I have a machloket. But how do I know that Meit Mitzvah trumps their sanctity and demands of them to become Tamei in order to pick up a dead body, to bury it, to handle it, to do whatever is necessary to bring it to a proper burial, whether it means picking it up and taking it into town or burying it on the spot? And now the Tana Rabbanan. And by the way, this is a bright, very similar to what we just saw in the Midrash Tanaim. I'll call Nafshot Meit Loyavo. This is the Nazir. If you think it's talking about a Nazir can't go to some friend's funeral, a coin idiot goes to his parents' funeral, but not his friends. So a coin gadol, who's not allowed to go to his own parents' funeral, certainly, can't, this can't be talking about about now, so why does it then list it? In other words, if a Kohen... Now, the problem with this argument is that it's circular. Is that we start out with an assumption that Kohen Gadol cannot be metamele krovim. And then when it says, I'll, uh, I'll call it that, that means, well, that has to be talking about krovim because Rechokim are already out. Well, how do we know that? Right? The problem is we know it from the next sentence, but it's the next sentence to be used to build the next, the next uh, leg of this argument. Right, and then they go through the whole passage, and we already saw this in the Gemara, but they go through the whole passage to demonstrate that um, that the listing of the specific relatives 
for whom you do not become Tamei, in the Kohen Gadol and in the Nazir case, and the underlying assumption textually is that the Torah just had to say, don't become Tamei. Don't have any contact with the dead. And that would have finished it. The fact that the Torah, after saying that general statement, lists particular relatives that you avoid bearing, and we assume from that that it certainly means that you cannot bury people who are not relatives, that therefore it must be saying, we're listing these to tell you these are the ones that you can't bury, but make mitzvah, yes. But as I said, underlying all of this is an assumption that make mitzvah carries the day, or shall we say gets carried during the day. <laughs> the make mitzvah, we have to take care of even at the cost of violating the nazer, violating the kunag dola, whatever it may be. Which leaves us with the same question, which is Menahanimili. In other words, the Gemara asked the question, and the Sifra, and the Sifri, sorry, asked the question, and the Sifra sort of does, not by asking the question, but just presenting the argument. But the argument is somewhat circular. And it is based on an assumption that Meit Mitzvah has this special status. Again, a Meit Mitzvah being a dead body that you find in an isolated place where other people aren't around to help. And the, and if, if you don't take care of it, the body's going to be lying out there and subject to the vagaries of the outside world and of and of uh, nature and of animals and of the elements, etc. Uh, and uh, and so you have, have an obligation to bury it properly, either, again, to pick it up and bring it to burial or to bury it on the spot. But where do we get that from? So I'd like to take a look at uh, a passage in Yerushalmi, and then we're going to spend uh, a gesund amount of time here with the Rambam. But let's start with the Yerushalmi, right? And I'm doing this partially because the Yerushalmi is something we don't touch in our regular Dafyomi uh, thing, the piece that we just saw in the Bavli, is something that we already learned. Uh, here is the Yerushalmi immediately on our Mishnah, which is Kohen Gadol, Nazir, who should become Tamei, Machlok, Rebeliezer, and Chachamim. This is now the Kohen Gadol. What are we talking about? After all, and this, this is now said more clearly than we saw in the Bavli. If the, when the Torah says that a Kohen Gadol may not have contact with the dead is referring to outsiders, not family members, well, think about it. A coin gadol is a kohen. He's not different. He's a coin plus. So he's already a coin idiot. He's already not allowed to have contact with uh, with the dead non-relatives. And watch how much clearer this formulation is. When the Torah says that a coin gadol mechav, a shirtzaka, rosho, etc., al kol nafshot mate lo yavo. He can't have any contact with the dead. That must be talking about the dead that were listed that a Kohen Adyot does have contact with. You see why? There's no reason to say, oh, a Kohen Adol also can't do what a Kohen Adyot can't do. Well, of course. So it has to be even that which the Kohen Adyot may do and perhaps is obligated to do to bury his parents. All right. So now that means now that al kol nafshot mate lo means the kohen gadol does not bury even his own relatives. So now ktiv yal kol nafshot v'yatam arachain. It says kol nafshot. So why are you saying that it's not about rechokim? So then, here you find a principle. In other words, here's what the Gemara asks about what we just said. You're claiming, you're starting your claim by saying, a Kohen Gadol is, after all, a regular Kohen plus. So if so, why would it say, referring to the ones that the that the Kohen Gadol is already bound from? So Mechia Baragamda comes up with an interesting observation. He says, Mikan Isur Achar Isur Batorah. In other words, here you see the notion that something can become, excuse me for saying, a double osir. All right? In other words, here the guy's a coin, and he's not allowed to have contact with a dead friend, neighbor, 
Now he becomes elevated to Kohen Gadol, and suddenly a new Isur adds on. He's not allowed to have contact with dead brother. But by the way, if he has contact with his dead relative, dead neighbor, what happens? He's violating two Isurim. The Isur of the coin, regular coin, and now a new Isur of a coin Gadol having contact with the outside. El Hatir mate mitzvah says, rather read the formulation a little differently. It's the, why it say la vivalimo to tell you that it's that mate mitzvah is permitted. Some people learn mate mitzvah from here. Remember, we had that at the beginning. Again, the way they're reading it is, don't become tamay among your people. Meaning, if there's other people around. But if there's nobody else around, you become tamay. That's mate mitzvah. Some people actually learn from the last word in that pasuk, which is, don't become defiled. In other words, for that purpose, you're going to become Tameh. And this is where things really get so much more textured. Everything that we've looked at so far has been within the narrow confines of Parshat Emor and Parshat Naso, meaning the Parshat of Kohen, Kohen Hadjit Gadol, and then Nazir. And what we've done is looked at the words that prohibit each one of them from becoming Tameh, notably the Kohen Gadol and the Nazir, and looked at nuances in that language to see whether it allows us for the Meit Mitzvah. Now we are going far afield, and I do mean that literally. The Torah tells us the following, and uh, we're going to take a look at the Psukim a, uh, a little bit later on. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to poke down on the Psukim right here. Which is right here in source 13. So if a person has a a uh, in which he is um, in which he is executed, this is for kilat Hashem. He's killed, however he's killed, and afterwards he's impaled. Right after he's killed, he's impaled. He's not killed that way, but after his body is impaled. You're not allowed to let that body stay overnight on the tree. You rather are obligated to bury him that same day. It's like a curse to God, and there's a lot of interpretations, even in the Mishnah about this in Sanhedrin, that it's it's an offense to God, it's a curse to God, it's because this guy cursed God, He's Talui, but either way, we don't leave him hanging there, we bury him. Right, we're going to come back to that red phrase later on. But the Yushalmi here suggests that that may be the source for Meit Mitzvah. Now, this is an odd Meit Mitzvah. This is not somebody who doesn't have Adra, but that's a whole group around. Has the Sanhedrin there, the Beit, whatever, the Beit team that oversaw the killing, which is at least 23, and it has the Edim, Yad Edim and has all the people who are summoned to, to see the execution so as a deterrent. And yet, we're regarding it as something akin to a mate mitzvah. We'll see why. And so now, watch the, the drasha. Anybody who is banned from kilat Hashem is in the context of mate mitzvah. Which means, there is no dinner mate mitzvah, let's say for a non-Jew. So if I find a body of somebody who's not Jewish, I don't, I don't have doesn't have the din of a mate mitzvah. Okay. Now, uh, just an interesting story along the way, and then we'll we'll get back to our main topic. But it's an interesting story in the Yushalmi. same mate mitzvah. What are you supposed to do when you find a mate mitzvah? Touch it, hold him, whatever is needed to be, and bury him on the spot. This is in the middle of nowhere. You bury him and you mark the grave. Zell. That's if you find him out in the middle of nowhere. Let's say you're inside Shabbat. Then you pick him up, you carry him, and bring him to the cemetery and bury him properly. I brought you here because I want to tell you the story. Now, by the way, we did this a long time ago. Um, we did this in, in, uh, in the middle of Yavamot. 
Uh, where did how, what was Rabbi Kiva's starting? How did Rabbi Kiva start his career as in the in the rabbinate, as it were? So the truth is that there are multiple multiple versions in Chazal. The most popular version is, of course, that till forty he didn't know how to read, and then he was out shepherding and he saw the water and the rock, etc. The the famous passage in Avotor Vinatan. But that's not the only version of the story. And here you have something different. He says, Meaning, I was already in the Beit Midrash, and this was my first experience of actually apprenticeship, as it were. I was walking on the road, and obviously he was walking alone, and I found the Beit Mitzvah. Now, Bikiva, by the way, is not a coin. He's not a levy. He's a Ben-Gerim. I carried him four mil. That's approximately four miles and change until I came to a proper cemetery and I buried him. Who are his teachers? I told them the story. I said, Rabotai, I was, maybe they said why well, I was delayed. Maybe you want to tell them the story. So I was walking out in the middle of nowhere, and I saw this dead body, and evidently he knew it was Jewish, or assumed it was, took the body and walked, obviously walked much slower and much more painfully, uh, and carried the body all the way into town and found a Beit HaKvot and buried him. Now, by the way, what was the halacha that we just saw? If you find the body, you bury him on the spot. Why is that? Why do you bury him on the spot? Why do you not carry him into town if it's 10 miles. You you can come other people. Why? You're walking on if the you road? Bring him, you're going to come into contact with other people. Why? You'll come into contact with other people. I don't know why I'm getting closer. Well, also, to we talk about the same problem. The notion is you're out in the middle of nowhere. It's the Wild West. Vasquez rocks, right? Well, in, a, in a modern detective story, it would say that you don't want to contaminate the criminal scene of a potential criminal act. But you're not, but you're not contaminating the here. You are contaminating it. You're digging and you're burying him there. You are destroying all evidence that and by the way, we have no reason to think this guy was murdered. He just died on the road. Maybe he got sick, whatever. We don't know. Yeah, I watched too many, I read too many criminal books, sorry. Oh, but so <laughs> why would it be the case that we would say you don't you don't carry him in, but rather you bury him on the spot? There's two possible answers. One po that I could think of. One possible answer is we're not going to be matriarchal. In other words, we're not going to lay that heavy burden on you that you have to pick him up and carry a body 20 miles, 30 miles, so you find a, a, a proper Jewish town with a burial, uh, with a cemetery. It's enough to bury him on the spot. But if you, when you talk at home, so maximum 2,000 amot, not so bad. That's possibility one. Possibility two is sort of in the opposite direction, which is Maybe it is defiling the the honor of that dead person to schlep him around like that. It's one thing if you're near a cemetery, so you pick him up, carry him to the cemetery. It's another thing to carry him for miles and miles and miles. That's also degrading to the body. So there's two different ways to look at it. Watch what his teachers say to him. I'm ruling. For every step that you took, it's as if you were a murderer, which is one of the hyperbolic statements that Chazal say, you know, like if you embarrass somebody, etc. So Rabbi Kiva, who by the way is telling this story much later on, and he's saying what what lesson he took from it, here I intended to do a good thing, and nonetheless I became liable because I should have buried him on the spot. Now, did they say that to him because they said, you, all that time that you could have been studying, you could have been doing other things, and you were unnecessarily carrying this body, which took you much longer? Or were they saying to him that carrying the body was degrading to the body, and it's as if you killed him? Either way, I intended to do a good thing, and nonetheless, I'm liable. Had I intended not to do a good thing, let's say I intended to bring it in for to show everybody what a great guy I am or something, how much more so I'd be liable? From that moment on, I never stopped serving as an apprentice with my teachers so I could learn from them. 
And then Rabbi Kiva used to say, if you're not Mishamesh Chachamim, which means to apprentice with the Chachamim, Yechayab Mita, which he pulled out of that story. Okay, but the point is that that I wanted to, the main point of the Yushalmi is that you see the Yushalmi brings four different possible sources for mitzvah. Not for the idea of mitzvah, but for the values um, uh, resolution that a person, no matter how much their tum'ah is is uh, is a problem, whether Kohen Gadol and Azir, and certainly Kohen Adyot, it puts set aside for mitzvah. Now, that tells you two things. That tells you, first of all, that everybody knows that mitzvah has this status. Nobody challenges that. Nobody raises any objections to the fact that a coin gadol and a coin idiot and a nazir, they break, they 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 violate the law in order to become tamay, in order to bury mate mitzvah. The second thing you know from here is that nobody really knows where we got it from because there's four different sources for it. Right? So that's something that we're going to explore a little bit. So the Rambam shows up in two expected places and one very unusual, unexpected place. All right, we'll take a look at it. The most obvious expected place for Meit Mitzvah to show up in the Rambam is in Hechot Avelut, which talks about burial. Starts with talking about burial and about Avelut. In Paragyol of Hechot Avelut, the Rambam says the following. Kohen shepagab Meit Mitzvah baderach. So a Kohen encounters a Meit Mitzvah on the road. Hareza mitamelo. It becomes Tamei to bury him. Even a coin gadol. Bezu made mitzvah. He has to give the definition. Notice the wording. A Jewish person who's cast off on the road. The ain lo kovrim, and nobody's there to bury him. And then look at the Rambam says the davar ze halacha mipi hakabala. What does that mean? What does that phrase mean? Uh, it means that in Israel today it would be counted as a basic law. Okay, but in the, but in no serious, what does it mean? The halacha It's um, it's a uh, Moshe Mi Exactly. That's typically the way we would read it. Is this is a tradition that we have, which means, and it is not anchored in psukim. That's critical to understand. That the way we typically understand that phrase, halachami piya kabbalah, is this is a tradition that we have, but it is not anchored in psukim. What, what Bill very accurately said, halachalam Moshem Sinai. So the Rambam rejects the other four explanations? That's the problem. What about these psukim? And by the way, it's going to be more difficult in the Rambam himself. I'm glad you pointed that out, Sherwin. You'll see. Now the Rambam says, the coins alone. Afilu karasham baderach ve'en lo one. He yells out, nobody comes. Mim kshiyikra achirim onimotov. But if he yells, other people come. Ein zameit mitzvah. Alakore lachirim v'yavovi daskubo. Other people not koanim should bury him. Okay. Hayakoin v'nazir malchim baderach upagum meit mitzvah. All right, our case. Koin and nazir together. Yitasek bo hanazir. He rules like chachamim against Rabbi Eliezer. Shrein kedushato kedushat olam because his kedusha is not permanent. Even a regular coin should uh, should should sit stay tahor, and the nazir becomes tamei. What if it's a coin gadol and a coin idiot? This should be easy. Whoever is higher up on the ring ring uh, in on the rungs of the ladder of kedusha of kuna, the lower one gives me tamei. So skan mashuach. Right, we saw this in the Gemara. All right. This gun is considered higher. And one last thing, which sheds light on what we're looking at. Nasi Shemate. If the Nasi, which actually has a dean of Melech here, dies, meaning they all go to the funeral. Now that's odd because everybody's there. There's plenty of people to bury him. Why is the coin going? Asaul can make mitzvah the Chachamim established that in Asi Shemait, we regard him as a meit mitzvah for everybody. By the way, sheds a lot of light on what meit mitzvah is about. Meit mitzvah, somebody has to honor them. Somebody has to show them proper deference. And since nobody's around, you have to do it. And that means you lose your, you have to break your, your, the lav. 
and become Tamei. And Nasi, every is Kavod, by the way, everybody mourns also when the king dies. Now, in Hechot Nezirut, surprise, the Rambam shows up again. Hanazir mutar betumat mitzvah, and he goes, uh, and he says, it with mitzvah, basur mitzvah. Remember, we saw that one of the, 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 the in the previous parak, that what the distinction between wine and the other two isurim is the other two isurim have a release point. <clears throat> and if Nazir becomes a mitzvah, you shave. And if you're a, a nazir and you made a mitzvah, you you tie. There's no yayin that it ever becomes mutar, right? Ketzad nishin ishpah. Remember this on Sadaf Gimel. She ishte hayom yayin. A guy makes a shvur that he'll drink wine. She mitzvah lavlishto. Now there's a mitzvah to drink it. Midoraita. Harkach nadar ben nazir. The same day he became a nazir. Chal on azirut al shvur vasur biyayin. Right. And by the way, he violated the shvur by not drinking wine, but it shave al taseh. Because that's me, the very so free. How does that work? He's walking on the road and meets a mate that nobody's bearing. And look what he says. Just like he said here. Look at that. And again, we have the problem, which is what about the psukim that we saw? La vivulimo of all the me'le, la choto of all the me'le mitzvah, yes. And that's where we get to the unusual spot. The unusual spot is at the very end of Hilchot Kilayim. Hilchot Kilayim covers a range of Kilayim. We've talked about this in the past, that there are seven different kinds of Kilayim uh, that exist in Halacha. And um, at least five of them are discussed in Hilchot Kilayim. There are three that are in the field, which is Kilei Akerem and Kilei Zraim and Kilei Ilan. Those are all in Yochot Kilayim. There are two that are with animals, which is crossbreeding and working them together. And there's one that's on your back, which is Shatnas. And at the end of Yochot Kilayim is about Shatnas. Interesting halacha. Haro'ek Kilayim shel Torah If you see a, a fellow wearing Kilayim, which is Kilayim de Oraita, wool and linen woven together, you rip it off if it's even in public. Even if it's your Rebbe. Now, this is the, the reason I want you to see this is because there's a term Rambam here uses, which is going to inform us. What's Best way to translate it is human dignity. Human dignity is a halachic principle, but human dignity does not stand in the way of a lotase in the Torah. So, for instance, if a person is walking in Rishut HaRabim and they're wearing a talit, and along the way, either they realize that their talit is um, uh, is um, not Mitsuyatsky or Chata, or they, um, sorry, Ah, uh, there you go. Second, either they realize that their talit is not mitzuyats properly, or a string tears off such that it makes it pasul. They have to take it off in the street because now they're carrying carrying doraita. Right? Um, the Rambam says later on in I'm going to explain why in the case of the mitzvah de'oraita, of returning a lost item, we take into account human dignity and it trumps the mitzvah of hashalat in certain cases. Neshulav shomamon, because the person receiving it can be mochalet. V'lama betumat mate. Why is kvod habriot put aside for tumat mate? Ho'il perata katuv v'la'achoto. Because the Torah stipulated Now watch what happens. I am a Kohen. I'm not. I am a Nazir. I'm not. But I'm one of those guys. And my Kvod Abriot um, and, and, uh, and I have a Mitzvah a to become Tameh. I'm not allowed to become Tameh. But here there's a dead body. Kvod habriot, human dignity, extends to that dead body, 
And proper treatment of that dead body all the way until it's buried is part of a universal obligation of Kvodabriot. Now, the Rambam says this, this doesn't seem to work with the system because the system is that if there's a lotas say from the Torah, Kvod Habriot does not stand up to it. And his answer is because the Pasuk goes out of its way to say, in this case, you put aside the Lotase and you take care of the dead body and, and, and cover Kvod Abriot. But notice here, the Rambam uses the Pasuk, and the Rambam does not say, So Lacha Mishnah in Hechot Evel says that Mipia Kabbalah is not what people think. It could be from Sukim, but that's kind of difficult. Because in two places he says Mipia Kabbalah, and here he says he uses the Pasuk. Which is the popular one that, that's used. They have to figure out what's going on. So I'd like to make the following suggestion. Um, the a quick aside. I've told you num a number of times that Rashi is, and something you didn't need me to tell you, Rashi is hands down, the single most popular Parshan Chumash. That's a no-brainer. And how do I measure Rashi's popularity? I can measure it in a number of ways, but I'll give you three quick measures of Rashi's popularity. The amount of Kitve Yad that we have in our hands, manuscripts we have in our hands, of Rashi's commentary on Chumash. Numbers into the dozens maybe in the hundreds. By the way, just as a give it by contrast, we have one taviyat of the Rashbam on the Torah. And even that's not complete. Rashi, maybe in the hundreds. Including some that are quite complete and some that, that are not, they're not the same as each other, which is his own study. Second of all, what was the first Hebrew book ever published? After they ever printed the answer is Chumash with Rashi. should tell you something about the popularity of it. But the third is, a third measure of Rashi's popularity and Rashi's genius and, and, and artistry, if you will, is the amount of super commentaries there are on Rashi. Meaning, there are commentaries on Rashi's commentary. We call it a super commentary. And famously is the Gurarye, which is the Maharal's commentary on Rashi. And there are quite a number of famous commentaries. By far the most famous commentary of the Rashi, of, on Rashi is 15th century, Eliyahu Mizrahi, commonly known as the Mizrahi. Um, and um, Eliyahu Bachur. And in his commentary, uh, at the beginning of Parshat Emor, he quotes Rashi, who says the following. I, we have this Rashi, this this Sifra earlier. Here Rashi quotes it. That's our, our limud. He quotes it, and he quotes it from the Torah Kohanim, right? And he goes through the drashot, and then he quotes the Rambam, and he says some people are bothered by the Rambam because it's divrei Kabbalah. Right? He says it here, and he says it here. Quotes the two Rambams, the one in Avelun, and one in the zero that says Divrei Kabbalah. And he says, So I don't get it. If it's Divrei Kabbalah, then how are we doing Sukim? Sherwin's question. And he says, uh, He gives the answer that he does, um, which is, um, He said, He said that if it's true, that really it's driven by 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 halacha Then the psukim really should be asmachta, meaning that really the psukim are not the source, and the psukim are just there to sort of buckle up the or boost up the halacha. But really, it's uh, it's um, it's coming from the the halacha, right? And that that's the question he asks. It says, "But iyun, why why the Gemara doesn't say asmachta ba'almahu?" So the Lecha Mishnah in his commentary on Hilchot Avelut says, quotes this, and he says, it's not a problem because Divrei Kabbalah doesn't mean what you think it means. It can mean that it was based on interpretation from Sukim. I don't know that that's not necessarily the case, but I'd like to make a very different suggestion about Meit Mitzvah 
and anchor it in the idea of Divrei Kabbalah from a whole different direction. Let's start with this. And I'm going to take you off share for a minute because we'll talk together. Let's talk about this. What is the fundamental problem that the whole sugi is about? You're, you're violating uh, the Torah. You're violating what, is the, the, right. what it says. And what is it you're violating? You're right. You're violating something it says in the Torah for a purpose that the Torah never talks about. Make mitzvah. Right? It's one thing if the Torah says you're a regular Kohen and you bury your parents. Okay. Uh, that's the Torah said to do that. But here we're saying even if you're a Kohen Gadol or Nazir, you stop and you pick up the body and you bury the body of a mitzvah and you have to go through everything, including a Nazir having to bring Korbanot and the seven day and the shaving and everything. I did it backwards, but do all the process and start over. Where, where does such a thing come from? Because what's the essential problem here? Is that you're violating your kedusha that you've either been given, you've been born with, or you've taken upon yourself and become tame? You've defiled your kedusha. So what can become defiled? Where this is going to go a little bit out of the realm of halacha, but back in. What sort of things can become defiled? So we know a person can become defiled. Person becomes tame, right? What else? There are objects that become tame. What? Objects can become tame. Objects can become tame, right? Mm. Now, objects that become tame that are never have any contact with kodesh, we don't care, right? If I have a work table somewhere and my workers are not Jewish and they're the ones who work there, I get tame. What do I care, right? So you're right. Objects can become tame. At what point does that tuma become a problem? If it's related to tumah mate. But then it also doesn't have a problem unless what? When does tumah become a problem? I'm tame. I don't have a problem with it. Well, if you're if you're going to be involved with the Beit Hamikdash with Korbanot, with if I'm going to have contact with Kedusha, my Tumah is in the way. That's it. So a Kohen, I'm looking at Sherwin, a Kohen who's going to be Abu Dai in the Beit HaMikdash has to refrain from becoming Tameh. A Nazir who, in a sense, is forming some sort of temporary Kunag Dola has to refrain from Tumah Mate. I don't have any mitzvah if you refrain from Tumah Mate. Every time Haley Graham puts out a figure, I can go running to the funeral if I want. Right? And if I'm going to go to the Beit HaMikdash, then I have to, on the third day and seventh day, get Hazad Mechatad, go to the Mikvah, and I'm good to go. But I'm not defiling anything. So surprise, surprise, what else can be defiled? And this this we might be find surprising. Take a look here at passage 12, which is from, um, which is from the end of Sefer Bamidbar. Um, This is where the Torah is talking about Arei Miklat. If somebody kills somebody, they go after Arei Miklat. If somebody kills intentionally, then he's, he's killed. But one witness can't can generate that testimony. You can't take a ransom. For a somebody who should be killed for their murdering, you can't take a ransom and let them off. You might rather they should be killed. You can't also take somebody who killed in unintentionally went to your miklat. You can't take a ransom from them. For them to leave early before the coin got all dies, can't take a ransom. Can't take a payoff. Do not. Besmirch the land. Asher Blood will besmirch the land. The land will not be cleansed for the blood that was spilled on it. Without the blood of the one who killed him. The blood of the one who killed him has to be spilled in order to, to achieve kapara for the land. And this, by the way, takes us all the way back to Cain and Evel. Below to Tamea Ta'aretz, and that's what I wanted to get to. 
Do not defile. There's the word tumah. Do not defile the land. And I got him dwelling in the land among you. And you're defiling it, which means, in a sense, the land is one large Beit HaMikdash. Obviously with the lower sanctity, but still subject to Tumah. But the Beit HaMikdash is subject to Tumah on a very fine level. The land is subject to Tumah in only one case, and that is a dead body. So somebody died and proper punishment was not administered, that creates Tumah. And now we see an example of that. Here's somebody who's been executed and their body has been properly then impaled for, for, for a display. You have to take them down and bury them. Why? Because by displaying the body overnight, leaving out there, this is defiling the land. In other words, not only the Mikdash, not only people who serve in the Mikdash or are becoming shadows of those who serve in the Mikdash, i.e. Nazir, can become Tameh, the land can become Tameh. And just like the Kohen and the Kohen Gadol and the Nazir, the one Tumah that they're banned from is Tumat Mate. Eretz Yisrael has an issue with Tumat Mate, but it's of a very different kind. Obviously, we bury in the land. And in Israel, we don't bury in a coffin. We bury right in the land. But to have a body that isn't taken care of properly, either because it's displayed in a degrading way or because uh, it, it, it's, it's the procedure for punishing the person who killed it has not been properly administered, that is metame in the land. Now, watch as it all comes together. There's a curious ceremony that takes place when we find a victim of a homicide out in the middle of nowhere. And we refer to the ceremony as Egla Arufa. We dealt with it, well, we're going to deal with it again. We get to the end of Masachat Sota. So that's coming up next. There's a dead person out there who was killed, didn't just die, was killed. We don't know who killed him. They go, the Beitin, the members of Sanhedrin come out and they measure to find out what the closest town is to where he died. Or was killed by They bring out a calf, very much like the paraduma, never been worked. They take him down to a a, a wadi, which is harsh, where nothing can grow. They break the back of it. Who shows up as part of the ceremony? Who does the Torah command? To show up as part of the ceremony, the Kohanim are obligated to come and show up and participate in the ceremony, along with the members of the Beitin of that local city, and they wash their hands over the Eglarufa and they say, We did not kill this person, etc. What are the Kohanim doing there? You're Dadafka inviting Kohanim to come out to the site of where a dead man is lying there? It seems fairly clear that what's happening is that the the Damnaki, the innocent person who died here, their blood is being the of the land. Somebody killed them, and we don't know who it is. That act is being the of the land. And what is the Torah telling us? The Tumah of the Kohanim, meaning the 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 resistance from becoming Tame on the Kohanim, breaks down. When we have this larger issue of tumataritz, and then for the Kohanim, dafka go and participate in the ceremony. This is not a mit mitzvah. There are plenty of people around. The Kohanim are told to come and be mitameh in order to take care of this because of tumataritz. So I'd like to suggest that this actually becomes the makor for mit mitzvah. Not just that mit mitzvah is an obligation on all of us, but dafka Kohanim have to participate in this. And so the Kohen is obligated to come and be mitameh. And suddenly we see midivrei kabbalah, meaning that we see a principle in the Torah, without specific psukim that point to it, which tells us that a taking care of the proper procedure for somebody who has died, whether it is someone who has been properly executed but their body needs to be taken care of, the Yerushalmi says that's one of the sources for mitzvah, 
whether it is a body that's been found out there and nobody's there to bury it, and there's a body that is being ravaged by animals, whatever, whatever, or it's going to happen if not, if not yet, or whether it's a person who has killed and is trying to get away without being punished, and therefore there's a dead body whose status, whose procedure hasn't been properly taken care of, or whether it's Nebuch, a victim of homicide that's out in the road, and that procedure has to be fulfilled, we Dafka are saying the Kohanim have to get involved, and that their rarefied air of Tahara has to be broken in order to care for the much broader issue of Tumat Haaretz. And uh, so I believe that that may be a makor for the whole idea of Me'itzvah, which would now make it really Medivrei Kabbalah, because not explicit in the text, and the psukim then are just there in order to clarify that the Kohen Gadol and the Kohen Hedyot and the Nazir, uh, even for a regular mitzvah, would uh, would violate their uh, their, their tahara.